That's about the size of the population of uh, Florida in just the last four weeks uh, filing unemployment claims. So that really gives you a sense of how large this economic downturn is. Pride is not canceled. No one's gonna take that away from us. We're still gonna raise our pride flags. We're still gonna wear our rainbow gear. We're still gonna post on social media. There are a ton of very smart, very driven, very motivated people all over the world working on this. The race continues to find a vaccine that works against COVID-19. Welcome to our ABC 10 News Coronavirus Impact Podcast. I'm Ben Higgins, and we're looking at the different ways the ongoing pandemic is having an effect on our community. In just a moment, I'll be getting a primer on vaccine development from a professor at the Salk Institute as he explains the science behind the breakthrough that will hopefully eradicate the COVID-19 pandemic. First, though, a look at some of the top coronavirus headlines for Thursday, April 16th. To date, the county is now reporting 2,087 cases. There are 75 new cases from yesterday. The county also announced that three more people have died, bringing the region's death toll to 63. And the county estimates that more than 900 people have so far recovered from the disease. President Trump announced guidelines for states to start opening their economies that have been largely shut down by the pandemic. It's all designed to get people back to work and the economy rolling again. Ultimately, it'll be up to the governors of each state to decide when to begin reopening. And for some states that have had minimal impact from coronavirus, such as Nevada and Utah, the president says they can start implementing these guidelines as soon as tomorrow. The guidelines will roll out gradually in three phases. During phase one, Schools currently closed will stay closed. Restaurants and movie theaters, sporting events, and churches will be under strict social distancing guidelines. Gyms can open if they have social distancing and strict cleaning, and bars should remain closed. At larger businesses, working from home will still be encouraged. Employees will only be allowed to return to work in phases, and employers will be expected to close common areas, minimize non-essential travel, and make special accommodations for those who might be vulnerable to the virus. We are not opening all at once, but one careful step at a time. And some states will be able to open up sooner than others. Some states are not in the kind of trouble that others are in. California Governor Gavin Newsom is yet to announce when different counties in the state will begin implementing Phase 1. California's unemployment claims have risen more than 1,500 percent over last year because of the coronavirus, but we're actually doing better than most of the country. According to WalletHub, South Dakota's unemployment claims are up a jaw-dropping 7,000 percent over 2019. That's the most in the nation. Georgia is second at 5,900. California's jump is actually the 10th lowest in the country. While students around San Diego continue to get used to distance learning for the remainder of this school year, plans are already being put into place for what the next school year might look like in the fall. And joining us right now is 10 News reporter Jennifer De La Cruz, who's been on this story today. And uh, Jennifer, the County Board of Education is already trying to see what it might look like, assuming we're not back to business as normal in September. Yes. So from what we can tell so far, it definitely does not look like it is going to be a normal school year from what we have considered normal in the past. They're still going by, you know, state guidelines, listening to what Governor Newsom is saying about social distancing. And it does appear that they may, that may last a little longer than we initially thought. A lot of questions still, but they're starting to lay out some guidelines 
um, as students start to think about next school year. I know my kids, uh, they go to a high school that is jam-packed. I mean, thousands of kids that are crossing paths in hallways, in PE classes, at lunch. What can they possibly do to try to implement social distancing if they are bringing kids back on campus? So one of the things they're thinking of doing, they certainly want to reduce some of those class sizes and not have kids so close to each other. In the hallway, they're going to potentially adjust the bell schedule. So some classes will be getting out at different times than other classes to reduce the people who are in the hallway. There are going to be potentially some hallways that certain students use and some hallways for other students, um, limiting distancing at drop-off and pick-up PE classes and lunch breaks and kind of staggering it all out. Uh, also, they say they're still potentially going to have a blend of distance learning. So they may have some students on campus and some students off campus. There are families who do like the distance learning and it does work for them. Or maybe they have someone in their family who is sick or vulnerable to that and they don't want to send their kid out to go you know, mingle with a bunch of other kids. So for some families that works, they may still continue to learn online while other students go back to physical school. So a bunch of different things that they're you know, thinking about right now. And of course, all of this, like the rest of our lives, is subject to change. But uh, Jennifer, good information. Thank you so much for uh, spending a couple of minutes with us. Of course, anytime. Thanks, Ben. A physician at a med spa in Carmel Valley is being charged in a COVID-19 fraud scheme. Dr. Jennings Riley Staley of Skinny Beach Med Spa was charged with mail fraud. In late March, the spa began sending emails advertising COVID-19 treatment packs, which included drugs like hydroxychloroquine and Xanax. Dr. Staley described the treatment to an undercover FBI agent as a miracle cure for COVID-19. He'll appear in federal court tomorrow. This afternoon, County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher announced that all homeless people who are staying at the convention center will be tested for COVID-19. We want to test those. We've got a system in place for anyone who tests positive uh, to be immediately isolated uh, and then uh, transported to a public health motel room where they will receive care and help uh, during their recovery phase. Uh, but we continue to do everything proactively we possibly can. The process began today with 150 tests and will continue until everyone is tested. The county says 14 homeless individuals have tested positive for coronavirus. None were at the convention center. And San Diego Pride won't be happening this July due to the coronavirus. Today, organizers announced the cancellation of the event, which celebrates the LGBTQ community. They say they made the difficult decision after Governor Newsom made it clear that large gatherings would unlikely happen this summer. San Diego Pride says it will still celebrate with a virtual global pride on June 27th. Looking at some of the lessons from diseases of the past today, and we're joined on the podcast by Professor Greg Lemke from the Salk Institute. Professor, it's uh, good of you to spend some time with us. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm very good. Well, of course, um, I think most people know the history of Dr. Jonas Salk and how he came up with the, the polio vaccine, but I don't know that a lot of people really understand what that meant, especially nowadays. Can you take us back uh, some of the history of the polio vaccine and, and kind of how that came about, and then we can get to how that sort of applies to what we're all going through today. Sure. Well, polio is the polio virus is a virus we've had around for a long time. It's actually an ancient virus. There's evidence that um, ancient Egyptians were actually afflicted by polio, but polio epidemics as um, as epidemics were really a 20th century phenomenon. So we didn't actually have wide outbreaks of polio until the very end of the 19th century, early 20th century, when general sanitation conditions were beginning to improve. 
it's actually thought that um, the reason you didn't have polio epidemics back then was that people were exposed to low levels of the virus um, when they were kids. So there was a lot of herd immunity. But anyway, as, as conditions improved, the, um, the polio virus became more prevalent in Western Europe and in the United States in the 20th century. We started to have epidemics. They would wax and wane. So some years you'd have really bad ones. Next year might not be so, so bad. They were seasonal um, outbreaks, typically occurred in the summer. But each time we had a bad one, it was worse than the previous one. And so the situation actually got very bad um, by the middle of the 20th century. So just before the polio virus came online, we had the worst epidemic um, that we knew about in the United States in 1952. That killed several thousand people and made many more tens of thousands of people sick in various ways, including being uh, paralyzed. So right before the, the salt vaccine came online, we were really sort of in the, in the thick of it in terms of bad polio epidemics. Was there any, at the time, uh, you know, social distancing uh, procedures that were in place? Obviously, people would, I'm sure, avoid anyone they knew that had polio, but uh, we have so much more knowledge about that sort of thing now. Uh, yeah, I mean, people knew that it was a contagious disease. They knew it was, it was um, you know, infectious. So there were actually... Um, for example, in a lot of places in the United States, um, municipal swimming pools were closed in the summer, summers in the late 1940s, early 1950s. Um, people were just afraid, afraid of being, being in those kinds of big groups. There was some feeling that actually um, contracting polio was associated with swimming. Um, and, and it turned out that, in fact, most of the infection is from, of a polio infection is through your mouth. So there was some a basis for that. But we had a little bit of the social distancing, but certainly nothing like what we're experiencing now with the, with the coronavirus. So the development of the vaccine, obviously it was possible uh, you know, almost 70 years ago to do this kind of science and develop vaccines. What's that procedure like? How has it evolved to today? And uh, how does it relate to what scientists are working on today to try to come up with a vaccine for the coronavirus? Well, that's a, really, that's a really interesting subject. I mean, in the past, um, and in fact, for most of the, the history of vaccines, um, the vaccines were very similar things. They were always preparations um, of the virus that was causing the infection. So you, you had methods for growing up large amounts of this virus that would cause the disease. And then you did two things. You either treated that preparation of the virus in such a way that you killed the virus, or you grew it in such a way that the virus was really weakened and it wouldn't cause disease. But when you inject it in, into people, people would, their immune systems would respond as if they were infected with the virus and they would mount an immune response. And that's what vaccination was really about. So in the past, all of these, all the vaccines, including the salt vaccines, the salt vaccine was a, was a grown-up preparation of, of the polio virus that was killed by treating it with um, a chemical that's related to formaldehyde, so it would kill the virus, and that's what was injected into people. Um, those kinds of vaccines uh, are still used. So, um, you know, the measles vaccine, for example, that we give kids is a killed virus vaccine. Nowadays, um, with molecular biology, we have the option of trying to develop vaccines that don't involve the whole virus 
or rather injecting people just with protein components of the virus, so not the whole virus, not something that's going to infect you, but the protein components of the virus that you need to make antibodies to in order to have an immune response. And so many of the more modern approaches, for example, the approaches that are being taken to develop um, a vaccine against the coronavirus involve that. Um, we know, for example, in the coronavirus, the, the antibody response that you've really got to mount in order to have protection against the virus is an antibody that binds to this spike protein that's on the surface of the virus that you've probably seen all these um, images of in the media um, on TV. You see this virus is kind of a ball, it's sort of a ball of membrane, and it has these things, typically they're red, sticking out of the surface. And that's called the spike protein. And that protein is the protein that the virus uses to bind to a receptor on your cells to infect you. And so if you have an antibody that binds to that spike protein, then the spike protein can't bind to the receptor on the cell. And so a lot of the newer versions of the vaccines that people are trying to make now are versions where you're just expressing that protein in one form or another. And then the idea is you'll eventually inject that into people. People will make antibodies to that protein and be protected. So the race is on across the world. Scientists, uh, you know, uh, medical companies trying to come up with that correct formula, that vaccine that's going to help protect us all. Now, famously, Dr. Salk made his vaccine available to the world. Um, you know, not he didn't he didn't try to make a fortune off of it. I have no idea what's going to happen in this uh, instance. But what would you expect to happen once a viable vaccine does uh, come out of some of these trials and, and experimentation that's going on right now? Well, you're totally right. Um, Jonas never patented the salt vaccine. He had a fame, he was asked about it in an interview in the 50s. He said, by Edward R. Murrow, asked him if he'd patented the, the vaccine. And in a typical kind of Jonas response, he said, no, would you patent the sun? And so, you know, we'll have to see how things develop. I can tell you, you know, I'd sort of reviewed this recently. There are a ton of very smart, very driven, very motivated people all over the world working on this. And they're using different approaches. Some of them are just trying to express RNA or DNA in a form that you can inject into people that will encode the protein. Some are trying to make better versions of adjuvants that you have to add to the protein in order to boost up the immune response to anything, including what you're gonna inject. And some, there actually, I think, are some efforts to try to make a virus-based vaccine. I think Johnson & Johnson's working on it. So we'll have to see. I mean, at this point, I'm very impressed with the extent to which that community in general is um, cooperating and coordinating and making all their, their data and their progress publicly available right away. So we'll see. I mean, you're right. Most of these are commercial efforts. And so, you know, one of these vaccines will turn out probably to be the best, one or a couple. And um, that company will probably make a lot of money. Well, Professor, this has been fascinating. Really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us today. Professor Greg Lemke from the Salk Institute, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Finally, it's my goal to wrap up our podcast with a little good news, even if it may seem hard to come by at times. Doctors at Scripps Encinitas had something to cheer about this week. Patient Ava Mees got a hero's send-off as she became the first coronavirus patient at the hospital to be discharged after going on a ventilator. A 73-year-old spent 20 days at the hospital. So far, 144 COVID-19 patients have been discharged from Scripps Hospitals countywide. 
10 News is tracking the number of coronavirus cases in San Diego County. Just go to 10news.com and click on our local COVID tracker. There you can find the breakdown of local cases by age and gender. You can also see the geographic location using our interactive map. We also have a list of resources, including how you can help those in need of supplies and how to identify coronavirus symptoms. Just go to 10news.com or download our free 10 News mobile app. That's all for today. I'm Ben Higgins. And remember, we're all in this together.